On the Grindhouse Girls podcast, we discuss all things spoopy, scary, and strange. Some content may be disturbing or graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, Grindhouse Girls friends and fam. Once upon a time, there was a young boy who was close to his uncle, whom he was named after. The uncle lived with the young boy and the young boy's parents. One day, the boy and his uncle made a pact. Whichever one of them died first, the other would visit them from beyond to let them know that there was an afterlife. After his uncle's passing, the boy moved into his uncle's old room only to hear his uncle sighing heavily one night. The boy, terrified, never slept in the room again, but the memory of the sighing ghost would always stay with him. Years later, the boy would become a film director. His feature film debut and independent horror film would bring him critical acclaim, while the second film, a major Hollywood production, would be traumatic and what he would describe as a horrible, horrible, horrible experience. It was after this Hollywood experience that the film director had that he would find a hero in another film director, a Mr. Pedro Almodovar that would use his very own production company, El Deso, to help the young filmmaker get his third movie made. With the power of decision and the final cut back in his own hands, the young director decided to make a personal story, one set against the backdrop of the Spanish Civil War that would be about regret, memories, and of course, a sighing ghost. Naturally, we are talking about the great film director Guillermo del Toro and his 2001 film El Espinazo del Diablo, also known as The Devil's Backbone. So sit back and think twice about getting more weather in the middle of the night. This is the Groundhouse Girls Podcast. Hello! Hi, I'm, I'm Katie. <laughs> Sorry, I was just like, hi. Hi, and I'm Brittany. I'm still not quite over all my congestion stuff, so I probably still sound a little off, but I'm here. Oh my gosh. I know. I am i don't sound bad anymore, but I still have like allergy shit going on, and I'm sick of it. Sick of it. How are you, Brett? I, I, I am okay. I've been keeping busy, busy, busy. Um, but I, I can't complain. I feel, I do feel a little sad because I feel like this is one of the first, uh, Octobers in my adult life that I've been so busy. I haven't really been able to enjoy the month. And that does kind of make me sad. I know. I, so like, I don't know what, and this is, this is going to be, uh, released in November, but like, this is, we're filming this on, the 26th so the week before halloween and um like i last year i think i i think we shared our halloween costumes on yeah we did on our socials and like you know i worked really hard to make that giant flower crown for my danny for midsummer costume and i like had it planned out and then like this year i like i had an idea for one and then I was like, oh, I don't know how I do that one. And then I had an idea for another one, but, like, I couldn't find all the pieces. So I don't know what I'm going to dress up as, but there's an event I'm going to on Friday. 
that and i also i think both of us got invited to a halloween party on saturday but i don't know if i'm gonna be able to go frankly because oh i won't be able I to have either tech rehearsal and i'm like i don't know what time i'm gonna get out of tech rehearsal um which is why i answered a big fat maybe and then like they had rocky horror last weekend and uh our, our lovely editor ryan actually couldn't use his tickets and i was like i can't go because i'm stuck at the theater but my friend was playing frankenfurter so oh uh, i was just like i feel like i haven't gotten to be as halloweeny it's been crazy but oh i do want to give a warning next week we probably will not have an episode because i am in tech week for the show that i am in and so i'll have to be at that on our regular night and we i'm off of it halloween night however we didn't think we would be able to record with children coming to the door yeah. every 10 minutes and, you know, ringing the doorbell. So the dogs would go crazy and it just would be a nightmare. But yeah, so we won't have an episode that week. But then we'll be back with a sidetracks episode and then we'll be back into the normal programming throughout the end of the year. But of course, we'll be ending a couple weeks before Christmas. So it should be. And if, if for some reason, I think we'll probably have an episode come out the week of Thanksgiving because... We'll record before that, but December, it depends what Thanksgiving week is for both of us, if we have time to do that. Um, also, I meant to say this during our Sidetracks episode, but what's happening in Iran is really fucked up. Yeah. And Anna Lily Amanpour, who directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, has who is an Iranian-American filmmaker, who has directed one of the Cabinet of Curiosities of Guillermo del Toro's new Netflix series. She's done one of the episodes. I haven't watched it yet. Anyways, but she's been sharing some really powerful videos about, like, her family's experience and her experience as an Iranian woman and why it's so messed up. And I would highly encourage you to go watch her Instagram account and, of course, her film A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is great. Also, if you really want to understand about everything that's going on, we went into highly crazy detail on our episode of Under the Shadow because that movie takes place right after the revolution, which is what made everything so overly conservative in Iran and took away a lot of women's rights in Iran. Also watch Persepolis because I think we talked about that as two on, two on that episode. But just want I I meant to say that so we could like briefly talk about it a yeah. little bit and I kept forgetting and I just want everyone in Iran to know that I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you and I I really hope that I want them to have a government that allows them to have freedoms because I don't think someone should be killed over not wearing their clothing appropriately. Yeah. I think that's a bunch of bullshit. But let's talk yeah. about the Spanish Civil War instead. I thought it was very fascinating because I didn't know <laughs> as much about the Spanish Civil War until like we started doing the podcast. Uh-huh. But it only lasted 3 years. 3 but years. But it was bloody as yeah. fuck. So I feel like I got into it when we when I the first time I watched Pan's Labyrinth because I was like very mm-hmm. confused about like who, because this, this movie's um, basically considered, like, a sibling movie to Pan's Labyrinth, because they both take place during the Spanish Civil War. I was about to say, so this takes place in 39, which is the last year, and I think I read Pan's Labyrinth is technically five years after the war's end. Yeah, but they're still, like, re- they're still re- um, Republican, which, mm-hmm. okay, which, okay, I did write this down, so I read it, <laughs> I was like, I was like, let me explain to y'all about this movie and where it takes place. Because I know I was like, wait, who is who is who? What is going on? So originally, Guillermo del Toro, who of course wrote The Devil's Backbone and directed it, he co-wrote it with a movie he'd worked on for like 16 years beforehand. 
He had an original draft, and it was set in Mexico because Guillermo del Toro is from Mexico during the Mexican Revolution, which is when Mexico got their freedom from Spain. And that was 20 years, no, 10 years. It was 1910 to 1920, I think. So that was also a really long conflict. But instead of having, like, a ghostly child, it had Christ with three arms. I don't... Yeah, I was like, that's interesting. This was, I think, on the IMDb. So, oh, no, it was on... No, this was on um, Wikipedia. So, um, but it was cited. So I do think it was okay. But the antagonist also... Originally, he had antagonist completely in red. And I was like, oh, so he took that and put it in Crimson Peak. Gotcha. Love that. But when they changed the location to Spain... They said it during the Spanish Civil War. And the Spanish Civil War took place in Spain, like Brittany said, from 1936 to 1939. And then the results of it continued for a very long time. So basically, the king of Spain, several years beforehand, let the people of Spain vote on whether they wanted to have a monarchy or a democratic republic, much like America. And they voted to give power to the people. I don't know if it was a democratic republic, but it was like a people's republic. So, and it was, like, a lot of very liberal laws were passed. The government became very, like, socially conscious and more left-leaning. And there was a faction of conservative right-wing religious nationalists in Morocco, led by Francisco Franco and several other generals. And they didn't like that. So they started the Spanish Civil War. And they took over Morocco and several other places, but Madrid was still held by the Republicans, which these Republicans are liberals, which I know is very confusing with American history. Well, it's not really, it's not the same as American Republicans. Anyways, but the the Republic loyalists were the ones that were actually the liberals. So the rebels in this case were actually conservatives, which I know, completely different from Star Wars. But it was really bloody and awful. And eventually the nationalists won. And Francisco Franco was a dictator until they reinstated the king. And now there's a king of Spain again. So that's weird. So, but that's kind of like, this is the middle of it is towards the end. So it was a very bloody war and a lot of people died. Not a good time for the people of Spain. Basically all of their freedoms being taken away. But that's my little, that's my blurb about it. I may have gotten some stuff wrong. I did write it down, but also it was on Wikipedia and I tried to read the whole article and it was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot to look at. So, But basically the Republic loyalists, lefties, the nationalists, righties, basically, in our terms. And also this was the 30s. So I'm sure they weren't as liberal as we are now. Like I'm sure. But they were for, for personal freedom. And for the people to choose their own laws. And not to have a king. But I did find it interesting that. No matter what this movie was being set during wartime. Because Guillermo del Toro. He sets his movies in very like interesting time periods. And I don't know. We we already did Crimson Peak, and y'all know how much we like Crimson Peak. Which apparently Guillermo del Toro has said, if you like Crimson Peak, then you're already my friend. I was like, cool. Yeah. We're buddies then. And this movie's like so deeply personal to it him is. too, for like a plethora of reasons. But I was reading because they, I guess, just like the last couple of years, they re they released this book that was like a behind the scenes. Mm. And he was talking about, you know, he's like, I said this against the greatest ghost engine of all, which is war. 
but then also the second greatest one is memory. Mm. And he wanted to create a story. And I mean, I think this is true of all Del Toro stories, kind of. It's the ghost is not the scariest thing in the tale. It's human cruelty. Oh, yeah. Which is something... It comes back. I mean, we see again in Crimson Peak, The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. It's always human cruelty is the absolute worst kind of yeah. cruelty. And I think we already talked about Augustin Almodovar, who was the producer. And I think his son is the one we mentioned in the intro. I think it was like a father-son duo. Okay, yeah, because in all the interviews, Del Toro specifically like talks about a moment with Pedro where he was like, you know... I just want to ensure I get the final cut. And Pedro's like, I don't know what you mean. What do you mean final cut? He's like, I want to make sure like the final version is my version. And Pedro's eyes got big and he's like, of course it would be. You're the director. And Del Toro was like, that meant so. Yeah. And like, that was like the thing he kept bringing up about Pedro. He was like, I'm so grateful for him. And he actually now he's gone on. Del Toro's gone on to grandfathered a couple movies because he was like, I was blessed by my experience with with the devil's backbone so he wanted to pay it forward in a lot of ways which i thought was really really cool that's sweet well also because he had a really hard time filming mimic chronos was like it was his first movie and he had more artistic liberty but it was still like not fully his because it was his first movie he was a new director and then he did mimic with miramax and he had a terrible terrible experience and it was so bad that apparently at the 70th Academy Awards, he almost, like, got into a physical fight with Harvey Weinstein. I mean, he wouldn't fight with Harvey Weinstein at this point. But, like, he was, like, it was an awful experience. And he's, like, I literally, there's one scene in a subway that I like. And I can't watch the rest of the movie because it's just trauma. He literally said in an interview, like, that his dad was kidnapped in Mexico for two months around the same time. Oh, did that happen at the same time? Because I, yeah. I remember, I know that happened. I didn't realize it was the same time. Yeah, it was like around the same time period. And he said, and yet the movie was more traumatic because he said, at least with the kidnapping, it was brutal, but there was rules. And he was like, <laughs> yeah, and I was like, damn. Caramo. But you know what? I get it. I get it because, you know, damn. I'll... I'll every once in a while talk about this job I had at this boutique a couple years oh, yeah. ago. And a Christian it, boutique. It sounds really stupid. Like, I know it sounds stupid when I say it out loud, but, like, I will never judge anybody for describing a certain type of trauma because like I was at the point at that job my phone would go off and I would start shaking because I was anticipating what was I had that happen not at a job but there was a specific office at my old job that there was a specific man there and he was the manager and he made me feel so uncomfortable that the last time I worked there my manager texted me and I just saw the message said katie do you mind working at this office today and i burst into tears and i was like i just can't like my nerves were so raw from like trying to avoid him the entire time because he would just like he would like corner me and get too physically close and i was like this is fucked up and he wouldn't do it around anyone else of course and i was just like this is so fucked and it made me feel really not okay and i told her that and i was like i don't feel comfortable working with him he cornered me the last time i was there and it really made me feel uncomfortable and i don't want to work there and she was like well he's off today so so I will not make you work there anymore. But it, since he's off today, like, I don't have anyone else to work there. Can you work there? I was like, as long as he's not going to be in the building, like, I don't mind working at that office. It's only him that I have a problem with. It's not that office. Yeah. And she said, okay. 
And then he came in on his off day. Oh, my God. Like, he didn't work the whole day, but he came in, like, during lunch to, like, stop by. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And I never worked at that office again. I know we've already talked about Guillermo del Toro. But if, if you don't know who he is, even though we've talked about him a bunch, he did direct Nightmare Alley, Crimson Peak, which we've already covered, Hellboy 1 and 2, The Golden Army, Pan's Labyrinth, like we talked about, Mimic, yep, which was a nightmare for him. Which I have not watched. I almost don't want to watch because it put him through so much pain. And Blade 2, as well as The Shape of Water, which he won the Academy Award for Best Picture and Best Director? I think so. That feels right. Um, No, it was Best Picture and Best Director. Also Best Original Score and Production Design. Nice. So yeah. All that green. But he's fantastic. Also, the other writers of this film are David Munoz and Antonio Trishoris? Trash or It's trash O R R A. We should have said before. I I'm not fluent in Spanish. Neither is Brett. We both took Spanish, but American school Spanish. But that's to say, we apologize in advance if we mispronounce anything. They both also. I think they must be like a writing team because they wrote Lena together, and they both have worked on television shows. Um, but it looks like mostly Spanish language things i didn't see anything i personally recognized however the cinematographer guillermo navarro has worked on a ton of stuff good and bad but it's all stuff that looks good let me put it this way they did their job correctly but they also was the cinematographer for twilight breaking dawn and spy kids and from dusk till dawn pan's labyrinth and chronos too so he did guillermo's early works and he just directed the first episode of cabinet of curiosities which guillermo del toro is hosting so obviously they're still buddies and then we already talked about the almodovars um augustine and pedro also uh the skin i live in i know almodovar augustine produced and that is like a body horror movie that i have yet to watch but it has antonio banderas in it who's always a delight and um, who also was in Spy Kids. Yeah. Was there anything we missed for the intro? No, I, I think that gave a lot of it, actually. So, yeah, uh, just coming off a very horrible Hollywood experience with Mimic, he started making this film, The Devil's Backbone. It's very personal. Um, I Oh, I can't wait to talk about, like, how I feel about this film. Oh. But, yeah, that, that's kind of a lot of it. So, I guess I'll go ahead and give a quick synopsis before we go into plot spoilers. So, warning. 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 And this is, we haven't said it yet, but once again, well, we said this. This is The Devil's Backbone. It's a 2001 film. It is currently streaming on HBO Max. It is part of the Criterion Collection and has a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Yeah, and I think it's funny because I actually own the Criterion DVD and the spine for it is 666. You think they did that on purpose? I think they, yeah, I think they did that on purpose. I think it's pretty funny. And that's just actually the only Criterion DVD I own too. Mm -hmm. Synopsis time. In the last year of the bloody Spanish Civil War, a young boy named Carlos soon finds himself at an orphanage where a diffused bomb sits in the courtyard and a sad young ghost roams the grounds. While making new friends and adjusting to his new surroundings, Carlos does soon find out though that true evil might just be flesh and bone. So yeah, so we are beginning and we hear this great yes. we hear this great kind of like little um it's not quite a monologue. I wrote it down. By the way, it said in Spanish and much better than I'm about to say it. What is a ghost? A tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and again, an instant of pain perhaps, something dead which still seems to be alive, an emotion suspended in time, like a blurred photograph 
like an insect trapped in amber. Oh my god, like Outlander. Yeah, I thought about the dragonfly in amber too. That's like the... <gasps> or... Jurassic Park. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, oh, okay. And I love it because it already kind of toys because you're seeing, you see this bomb get dropped and you see like this child bleeding from the head and another little boy standing over him. So you're kind of go into this movie like with a preconceived idea of what may be happening. But once again, right. we're talking about memory. And so right. it's kind of like ease by you too, in a way, when you think about that- how memory yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah and yeah and also as katie already knows i say pretty regularly uh that ghost stories are my favorite so i love a good ghost story this is definitely a ghost story it is a ghost story and so we see uh carlos arrive at this or- yes. this boy's orphanage and carlos is like maybe about probably between 10 and 12 i would say he is played by fernando tielva who is from madrid spain he actually was only auditioning as an extra and he ended up being cast in this he's also been in goya's ghosts and he had a small part in pan's labyrinth as one of the soldiers in it Um, but he's he still uh, acts pretty regularly but this was his first big movie yeah. Also, apparently, Guillermo used to criticize his acting to in front of everyone to get him to cry. I hate that. Like, I... I know. That's such... So, a- I mean, it's better than Hitchcock. Yeah. Who told little girls that he was going to um, nail their feet to the ground if they didn't stand on their mark. So, Carlos comes to this orphanage and it's, it's very isolated. Apparently, when the script was in Mexico, it was going to be, like, in a mountainous region. Mm-hmm. But then when they set it in Spain, they like kind of put it like out in the middle of the desert. Yeah, and it's really striking because it's like the first thing we see with with Carlos when he walks in the orphanage is a diffused bomb, like just sitting in the middle. It's definitely like this great like thing, a reminder that, hey, this war is going on. Like outside of the, the little dramas that happen in this orphanage, there's a real war that's looming. Yeah. But it's been diffused. And so, you know, little Carlos doesn't realize he's being dropped off, which is like the most heartbreaking part because like his i know it's so sad his tutor basically tells like principal carmen carmen is played by marisa paredes 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 i don't know how you pronounce her last name but it's a pretty one Mm -hmm. who was also in the skin i live in which is a movie we talked about which is another it's body horror movie she's been in over 120 films yeah most recently la cartas perdidas she's also done his mother's eyes and what was the other one that was on here that I found interesting? Talk to Her, which is another one that people involved with this produce. And it looks like All About My Mother in 1999. That was another one. Oh, and she was in Life is Beautiful. That was yes. the one that I was like, oh, I love Life is Beautiful. If you hear something, Gizmo's digging on the pillows because he can't get the right spot. Yeah, and so it's her, Principal Carmen, and then Dr. Casares. I think it's Cesar. Is it Cesar? I thought it was Casares. I try to, I usually try to listen in on the way they say things if I'm not for sure about pronunciation. I could have just been saying Cesar in my head. Cause because like, the thing that kills me is, it looks like, like the character Jamie, it looks like, it looks like Jamie, but he goes, Jaime, Jaime, is like what he calls him when oh, he's Oh, cause a J is an yeah. H. Oh my God. I was reading it Jamie too. Yeah. Because oh my god, that's what I like sit there because like you know it, like that's what I do a lot of times. I'm like, how does the other character say the name? Okay, so Fernando. Oh wait, no, that's the wrong person. Federico Lupi plays 
Cazares or Cesar, whatever we're supposed to call this character, the doctor. Mm -hmm. He's a doctor. He was in Pan's Labyrinth. He was also in Kronos, Martin, Necronomicon, which which was his last movie, because he passed away in 2017 at age 83. Yeah. Which makes sense, because he was already um, older. In this film, um, he's actually from Argentina, which is interesting because at some point, Carmen tells him that he might want to go back to Argentina. So I like that they kept that true to the actor. I don't know if that was in the script or if they're just like, oh, he's from Argentina, so we'll say that. I don't know, but I like the attention to detail. Yeah. Also, I think he was a fairly established actor at this point. He's like the, the, you know, how Patrick Stewart is like the name for Green Room. That's how I feel this man probably was for this movie. Yeah. I really like his character a lot, too, in this movie. And he's the one that says the prologue. Yeah. He says it. He has a very good voice. He does. He has an incredible voice. He recites poetry a lot throughout the movie, which is like a thing for his character. It's cute. It is really cute. But Carlos's tutor, so you find out, like, they're friends, and basically they're supporting, it's the Republicans, which, as Katie says, it's actually- Or the Loyalists. Yeah, the Loyalists. Like, Loyalist Republicans. Yeah, and they do call them Loyalists in the film, you're right. Yeah. So it's basically, they're like, hey, Carlos' dad died. Carlos does not know that his dad's died and he's an orphan, but we're about to cross into enemy lines. We can't take him. Can you take care of him? And, you know, that's where Carmen's like, we really can't take care of him. We have more boys than we need. But she has some gold that she's been putting back. And she's like, take the gold. And they're like, we can't take the gold. You know, just, we can't take the boy. We don't want him to die. Either he starves a little bit here or he dies there. And so while they're discussing this poor child's faith, he's out in the courtyard and he sees like this ghostly apparition of a of a small boy so the ghost we see the ghost pretty early on and it's really oh cool. do you want me to say who plays the ghost you can yeah junio valverde which i think is a really cool name who was in shiver which was a movie that a lot of people that the writers for this some of them wrote that joe is dead uh looks like a lot of tv shows and some smaller films but let's see is he still acting he just did an episode of In From the Cold oh. this year. So, yeah. Um, but it's a lot of Spanish films. Very nice. Very nice. He is significantly creepy in this movie. He is. But before, like, you know, Carlos can investigate, two other young boys, uh, Galvez and Owl, introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. Owl. Yeah. I love that his name is Owl. He's so cute. Oh. They're both such cute kids, too. Javier Gonzalez Sanchez played Owl. This was his only movie credit. Oh. Well, maybe maybe he didn't like acting. Yeah, and I that's mean. possible. That's definitely possible. Galvez is played by Adrian Lamana. And he was in, he's actually, he does a lot of television. He was in 24 episodes of Seis Hermanas. Um, Familia, that was a show he was on. Captain Thunder, I don't know what that's about, but I love that the name is called Captain Thunder. And 143 episodes of Yo Soy B. Wow. But they introduced themselves and them and Carlos were kind of talking about like kid things and stuff. And Carlos is showing off one of his comics when... Jaime comes up and starts to bully him. Which I said Jamie the whole time like an asshole. He looks like he actually works in the music department of Maria Belen, which is a TV series. He was also a small part in Pain's Labyrinth. He was also in the short The Boogeyman 
And before this, he was in a movie called Secrets of the Heart, The First Sound of My Life. But it doesn't look like he does as much regular acting. So maybe he got bored by it, too. Yeah. It's interesting how that works. But he, like, yeah. he kind of, like, is a dick right off the bat to Carlos. He takes his comic away. Not a nice kid. He's not. And he slaps the kid, too. Like, it's like, okay, like, now are you taking his comic away, you start slapping him around. And then this is, like, really traumatic to me just even watching it. So... He literally, Carlos turns, and his tutor literally puts his suitcase on the ground, gets in the car, and drives off. I'm like, it's like, oh. peace out, bitches. I was like, oh my god. Like, do you, what an asshole. you get to see this child's life turn upside down in a single moment. But at the right. same time, he doesn't realize that it's literally the man who's doing what he can to protect him. Right. But yeah, it's really sad. And then his little suitcase breaks, and so, like, Kazara... Um, or Cesar, however we're supposed to say his name, he comes by, the doctor comes, and he's like, oh, I guess we gotta fix this. So he's, like, sewing up his little thing for him. He's like, oh, you're reading The Count of Monte Cristo. What part are you at? It's very cute. And I will say, like, the, the thing that bothers me is, like, they still don't tell him that his dad is dead. Yeah, and I guess they don't want, like, maybe it's because, like, the trauma of him already being left at the school. They just don't want to, like, impart more trauma on him. I don't, because that's, like, the thing, too. Maybe. It's, like. Maybe they don't know he's dead, too. Maybe he's assumed dead. Oh, they said, well, that's the thing the tutor says, because I, I rewatched a little bit before hopping on. The tutor said that he died on the front, and so, like, oh yeah. Well. So I was assuming maybe the tutor saw him die, which is really sad because we don't know what happens to Carlos' mom. So I'm assuming she's dead too at this point. Yeah, it sounded like he only mentions his father. So I'm assuming that the mother died a while ago, probably before the war broke out. Yeah. But the good thing is, is because Dr. Casares is kind of studious and kind and him and Carlos have very similar personality types. So they hit it off right off the bat. And so he goes about like telling... Carlos a little about the, about the school. He's like, there's three teachers left, including myself. There's me, there's Ama, and then there's the principal, Miss Carmen. And Carmen gets him set up with a bed, the 12th bed. And he even recognizes, he's like, why is there so many empty beds? And she says, like, oh, you know, a lot of the boys run away. They get scared. So it's kind of brushed off, but I think that's a very interesting detail. Yeah, she's like, oh, don't, don't do that. I mean, she gives him a key to his locker, and she seems to, like, really be counting her keys. And you're like, that's weird. Mm -hmm. Is she really possessive of those keys, or is it because she's missing one? Hmm. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Have we already mentioned Jacinto and Conchita? No, because that's where we're about to officially meet them. Okay. So yeah, because Jacinto, who's like I guess like the janitor slash custodian, basically for the orphanage at this point. I think I think they list him as a groundskeeper, mm -hmm. so more of the outdoor stuff mm -hmm. than the indoor stuff. He is played by. Eduardo Noriga, who actually has done a lot of stuff. Um, he was in Vantage Point, which is a movie I've totally heard of, and The Last Stand, which is another movie I've totally heard of. Open Your Eyes, Thesis, and Mark of the Devil. So he does a lot of, like, English movies, um, which I think that's cool. English and Spanish language films. But then we meet him, and then there's also his... I, I don't know if they're officially engaged, but they talk about Gay Mary Conchita, who is the cook, right? She's the teacher. Okay, she. I didn't think she was... I thought Alma was a teacher and she was the cook. I think they all cook a little bit. Okay. I think it's a very much everyone pulls their weight. Because mm. she seems to do more than just cook. Okay. Like, she's also, like, out in front. Um, but Alma's definitely a teacher. 
She's a staff member. We'll say that. Yeah. She's currently on a show called Kientame. Um, this is Irene Vicedo. Um, 251 episodes. It must be like a soap opera because that's a lot of episodes. Um, she's also been in a show called, this is funny, Requirements to be a Normal Person is a movie that she was in. Mm. That's hilarious. Um, she's in a miniseries called The Duchess. Um, but this was an early film for her. She'd been in a couple other films. Um, but she was in a movie called Cascabel, and she was Cascabel. So this wasn't her first lead. But, like, I think this was one of her first, like, big movies. Yeah, and she's really pretty, too. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Of course, like, she's working, so she's dressed very plainly. But she's very pretty. Yeah. But we kind of learn about them a little bit. And so she's just wanting to move and have their own farm. To Granada. Yeah. And he's just, like, he wants to get away from there because it's we we it becomes apparent that he was also raised at the orphanage and he spent, like, 15 years there. And he's like, I just want to get away from here. And he's talking about yeah. he believes there's gold hidden inside the orphanage essentially and that's what he's talking to his two buddies about yeah he's got these two guys that just like randomly come by the school and he's like oh i'm so like jealous of you because you have it good i guess like all the men are kind of hiding from the war so maybe they were being um conscripted to come in and fight i'm not sure yeah it's it's kind of like we're just kind of getting the setup too about like how life is around here a little bit so Carlos is like having a hard time sleeping as one who would be abandoned at orphanage would. But he kind of believes he he sees a ghostly figure through the curtain. And as the audience, I I think we see a ghostly figure through the curtain. He, oh, yeah. I love this. Like he pulls it back and there's nothing there. It's like eerie. But then he hears whispering. He does. And he goes to investigate. And as he does, he accidentally knocks over the water for all the kids. No, no, he doesn't knock him over. Oh, the kid does. They just knock over. They just knock over. That's yeah. right. That's right. They just knock over. I rewatched that part today and I was like, oh, they just knocked over. Yeah. Oh, and he's like, what the fuck? And it's not one, but two water jugs just knock over. And he does see little so, watery footprints in it. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, so all the boys wake up. Well, Al Galvez... Hemi and Marcos yeah. um, all wake up and they're like, oh, you gotta get us more water. And so, like, in a scene straight out of uh, the sand lot, they, he sneaks out into the kitchen to get water, and as he's going back, Hansito comes in. Yeah. And so he has to hide because he's, like, scared of him. So Hansito has been stealing keys from Carmen because we find out later, but I think we can go ahead and say it right now, that he's also having an affair with Carmen um, so he's cheating on his lovely fiance, um, with Carmen so he can get to her keys. But also, he's kind of an asshole, because when they're having an affair, so it's very obvious that the doctor harbors feelings for her, and she's the widow of one of his friends, and they've worked together for years, but according to Hansito, he can't get it up and neither could her husband, so he's, like, the only one who can get it up for her or something, um, which is weird because then she, like, she doesn't want to kiss him. And I'm like, when did y'all start dating? Was it when you were like 17? Yeah. Or was it younger? Was she grooming you? Or did this happen after you were an adult? Because you're a pretty young adult. And I think it's implied somewhere that he left and then came back. So. Oh, so maybe. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It, you're right. He does say like, I can't believe I came back. Yeah. To this place. So maybe it's less nefarious than I think it is. Because I was like, that's a little creepy. 
Still, she raised him as a child. Yeah, which is really, really weird. Still weird. Yeah. Um. But anyways, so, but he's been stealing these keys. He steals one every night so that he can test it out on the safe that's, like, right hidden next to the fireplace in the kitchen. And this one doesn't work, but he suspects that someone has been around, so he puts a padlock on the kitchen door. And so, while he's there, the door to the cellar opens, and it's like, ooh, creepy. And so he gets the fuck out of there, but Carlos goes down to the cellar and into the cistern where he sees little creepy boy. And this is the scene that everyone gets creeped out about. Yeah. Um, this is the scene that was on Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments. It was, yeah. Yeah. Because, like, I mean, the little, the little boy is very creepy looking. They do a really good job with his eyes, I think, is what really... And I love it because he has, like, a head wound that's constantly, like, it's almost like airy-looking blood that, like, kind of floats about oh, his no. head. And that's something that he, that Del Toro does re-later use in Crimson Peak because it's, yeah. the, like, the blood um with the gash on the face does the same thing, which I think is really cool. Yeah. But I love this because it's, like, he calls out to the ghost and he goes around the corner but the ghost is gone, and of course, in like a classic horror movie, you move the you, the camera pans and the ghost is behind him. But when it right. touches his shoulder, it disappears. And so naturally, he hears a voice. He hears like this little ghostly voice that says, "Many of you will die," and he freaks the fuck out, understandably, as one would. He runs up, and he can't get through the padlocked door without taking off his pajama top. Don't worry, he's wearing an undershirt. Because I don't understand why people wear undershirts and pajamas, but I'm glad because it's a child that they didn't have to take their shirt off for a camera. He takes it off and he's able to get through um, because he's skinny. He's a kid and he brings the water. And then all the boys use slingshots to break the water jug, which alerts Hansito. So he gets caught and he's a dick. I don't like Hansito. But then like the next morning, the doctor and Carmen are, are talking. This is where we find out that uh one the doctor recites a lot of poetry as they get ready for the day two carmen has prosthetic legs that are somewhat hollow that she has to put on every day i don't know why it doesn't say when like if it was a a result of the war that she lost her legs or if it's been like that for a while doesn't really say either way but also it's very obvious that they both harbor feelings for each other yeah because like he's reciting poetry and he's like touching the wall that they share while he's reciting it and she like wakes up to it and is like really happy but she feels also ashamed of it it's like the temptations of the flesh and that's why she won't yeah. kiss him it's because like she's obviously very ashamed but the well, thing- then why doesn't she just try to make it work with the doctor that's what i I don't get i also don't understand because their walls are very thin and that's the thing that bothers me so it's like the doctor knows that she's getting it on with somebody oh yeah yeah. and he probably realizes who it is too because there's only everyone else there all the other men there are children yeah maybe they tried and he and it didn't work out maybe they tried so the next morning he's trying to get carlos to admit who his accomplices were like in the last night what a run and he won't do it because of course he's trying to be like the tough guy and prove that he's you know worthy of the other boys but he still figures it out because the doctor's so smart he's like hey whoever like looks up when he sits down is it and so he's like and you're all it they start putting up i guess like these 
these figures of Christ and stuff because they're going to try to pass off as a Catholic school because they basically know that yeah. the end of things are coming. So yeah, they're like they're like just in case the the other side wins, if they're super religious. They get like this giant crucifix, and then they're like, he's like, we got John the Baptist over here and Christ in the courtyard, which is pretty funny. But they get a bunch of like, it's just like they're just statues, like they're just saints statues. Which Catholics don't worship. I feel like I have to say that every time statues come up. It's not a worship thing. But after they put up the statues, uh, Carlos basically returns to... What was the word you used again? I'm so sorry. It's not inlet. What's the... It's like it catches rainwater. Oh, cistern. Yeah, a cistern. So he goes back to the cistern because he's trying to talk to the ghost. He's like, are you the one who sighs? And he ends up getting jumped by Jaime because Jaime thinks that... Carlos told on them when he didn't. Right. But in self-defense, he throws something at Jaime's face. Jaime gets in the water and the other boys are like, oh my god, he can't swim. And Carlos in a really- Carlos has to save him. Yeah. He's a, he's a, he's a good kid. He's a good, he's a good kid. kid. He's a yeah. good kid. But they bring the kid back out and then what happens is Jacinto, is, is Jacinto? Jacinto? Jacinto. Jacinto. Okay. So Hatsito appears, because of course he does, and he threatens the kids <gasps> and cuts Carlos' face. This part, I actually gasped. I was like, oh my god. Yeah. Because, like, like, it's one thing to yell at a kid, but, like, it's another thing to cause physical harm to them. Yeah. Over such a minor thing. And I was like, oh my god. Like, this is when I was like, ooh, these children are in danger. You're in danger. Run. Yeah, exactly. It's like he's a piece of shit. But he cuts Carlos' face and he, like, threatens him. He's like, don't tell anybody I'll cut you in half. And so little Carlos, he just goes to the doctor, gets his wound cleaned up. And mm-hmm. um, he happens to ask him, you know, Carlos asks this Dr. Casares, he's like, do you believe in ghosts? And Dr. Casares is like, I'm a man of science. But, you know, it's like the country is sick. And he he starts showing, which is where the title comes Limbo from. Limbo water. Limbo water. And it's like which, these fetuses in jars. So I'm guessing the limbo comes from the belief. So there was a Catholic belief that if a baby died, because, you know, you get baptized as a baby in Catholicism. It's supposed to purge you of original sin, which is what Adam and Eve did. Because anyways, but anyway, basically everyone's born in sin in Catholicism. But you get baptized, which means those are washed away and, you know, as a baby. And that's, you know, why they baptize like newborns, right? Well, so there was a, what do we call it? Council, a religious council. And they couldn't figure out, they're like, well, what happens if a baby who hasn't done anything wrong dies between birth and getting baptized? Like, what do you do? Like, where did, where did their little souls go? And they couldn't figure it out, so they wrote Limbo, but then everyone called, like, where those lost souls go Limbo. So anyways, I think that's where Limbo water comes from, because these children, these are fetuses that have spina bifida. And if you don't know what spina bifida is, it's where the spine grows outside of the body, which apparently also people call it the devil's backbone, which is really mean you can fix it in utero now it's still risky today to fix it though it really bothers me that there's babies and liquor yeah but he also mentions that apparently it saves lives and cures impotence which i'm guessing he gets that so he can fuck carmen but he can't fuck her 
Yeah, because he literally takes a swig when Carlos leaves. Yeah. Because he's, he's like, you want a sip of this? And Carlos is like, no, I don't think I saw a ghost. I'm peace out. But I do like this. So that night, uh, Amy and the other boys, uh, they wake Carlos up. And you think they're going to be bullies, but they're like, hey, Ken, we see your comics. So yeah. he's kind of getting buddy-buddy. And so the kids are hanging out, like, Amy's smoking a cigarette. They're, they're talking yeah. about comics. They're <laughs> he's like 12, and he's just like, I'm smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Also, um, Carlos has seen the name Santi mm-hmm. on his wall. And yes. he's curious if it's the same person as the one who sighs. And they do end up mentioning and uh Hamie leaves for this part of the conversation because obviously like he's a little irritated with the mention of the one that size but they're like you know the day the bomb fell a kid named Santi disappeared and you know no one's seen him the teachers think he ran away and no one has taken on Hamie since then so this is kind of also mm. making you think that Hamie is definitely complicit somehow in Santi's disappearance I did not think that I think all. I think they tried to like elude that's yeah. like that's the that's the red herring they try to give you. That's the biggest problem in this movie is I don't think they should have shown the beginning. Yeah. I think they should have just started the story because I feel like trying to point on a kid is very unbelievable at this point. And we didn't need it would be better just have a who done it than like try to, you know, mark a kid for being a bad seed yeah in the beginning that's probably my biggest qualm with this movie is that i'm like why did you show in the beginning it doesn't make sense but anyways i i guess i get it because it's like playing with the perception of what the audience thinks happens up to the point where it's revealed what actually happened and i do like that because you also you originally you think Hamie is like this big dick and he is but it's also like you also see the potential in him to be like a great kid and then like he's an artist too and I really like yeah, that. Yeah, he has drawings yeah. of Santi and other things. And so he wants to ask Hamie for that. Unfortunately, though, the tutor has been captured by Franco's nationalist mm-hmm. troops. And the doctor tells Carmen that they should evacuate in case he's tortured to telling them about the gold. Yeah. But Hansito overhears it and decides, like, oh, it's my chance. And so he demands the gold. And they chase him out with a gun. But then they were like, I guess we should evacuate. So they're all, this is, this is, all of a sudden things go from zero to a hundred. Because they're like, okay, let's, let's start packing things up. Let's go. And all the kids are getting, most of the kids are getting loaded onto the cars. And the doctor's like, hey, Conchita, can you go get some gasoline for the cars? And she's like, absolutely. Sure. Why not? So she goes to get more gasoline. She's like, huh, that's weird. There's only one can. There should be like eight. And she goes into the kitchen. And there's Jacinto. Jacinto. And he is just gassing the place up. Just just covering it up with gas. Like what they should have done with the Shining Hotel. And she threatens him with a rifle. And ends up shooting him in the shoulder when he doesn't leave her alone. Um, but he starts a fire anyways. And so she runs to tell everybody... And then Carmen and Alma run in to stop the fire. And then there's, like, a bunch of little children that are, like, watching it. And they're like, kids, get out. And they're like, ooh. I was like, why would you watch that? Yeah. Kids. Unfortunately, because all the gas cans are right there, there's an explosion. And it kills Alma, who's one of the teachers, and mortally wounds Carmen. Yeah. And it kills multiple children, too. And children. Yeah. Yes. And, and the doctor goes in. He gets He gets knocked unconscious. And then and he's, like, like deaf like, when he wakes up. He's, like, partially yeah. deaf because he can barely hear. And I like that, like, yeah. moment, too, where you're, like, oh, his hearing is 
like yeah messed up you know after you shoot a really loud gun next to your head Mm -hmm. it's so sad though because like he goes inside the building and it's like carmen is dying and he also she's been blown off of her prosthetic legs yeah anything that blows you off of your shoes is terrifying yeah he holds her she dies in his arms it's very sad but he's a Cassaris is like a badass because he gets his he gets his shotgun and he sets up the shotgun and like looks out the window and has his little like record player and he's waiting he like waits for him to turn he's like you know we're gonna wait for this fucker to return now I'm gonna kill him myself he doesn't say it like but that but unfortunately he's also very wounded yeah and Conchita's okay but she's like we gotta we gotta you know get these kids help but their car is now damaged beyond repair so they don't really have a way out but the next night Hamie finally tells Carlos what he knows of Santi's disappearance yeah which is very sad it is okay so I rewatched most of it but I had to turn it off before this part um I didn't get to go back to it were they really collecting slugs? They really were collecting slugs. Yeah, that's okay, what he good. said. Yeah, he goes, he goes. I convinced him. So not only that, like the extra guilt is that he was the one that convinced Santi to go out with him. He's like, I convinced right. him to come with me to collect slugs. But they saw Jacinto trying to get into the safe. And Jamie's, Jamie, sorry, is able to hide. But Santi is caught by Jacinto, threatens and shoves him, breaking open his head next to the cistern. And Jacinto runs away momentarily to get stones to sink the body with. And that's when Jaime was over his friend's dying body. And uh, Jamie ran in the courtyard when Jacinto came back to weigh down the body with rocks and sink him to the bottom of the cistern. And as Jamie's running into the courtyard, the bomb lands, like, literally feet in front of him. Yeah. It's crazy. And it's like, okay, so... Jacinto is a fucking murderer. Yeah. Not only a murderer. And I mean, like, I didn't, he didn't mean to purposefully kill the kid, but he didn't, like, run and get him help. He just was like, oh, well, he's going to die. I'm going to sink his body to the bottom of this well. The thing is, that's it, bullshit. Santi's death was an accident. And it's what, yeah. and it's the moments after that that condemn Jacinto because it's like, he, it was an accident. All he had to do was try to get help. And he chose the opposite. Of getting help. Right. And that's why he's a bad person and Hamy isn't. Yeah. And poor Conchita decides to walk to the nearest town for help, but she sees Jacinto returning with his two buddies. And he basically, like, threatens her and tells her to apologize for shooting him. But she doesn't, so he stabs her to death in the middle of the road, which was really sad. Yeah. Which makes me think... About something at the end of the movie, but I'll talk about that when we get there. But Carlos once more encounters Santi's ghost, who quietly demands Carlos bring Jacinto to him. Yeah, I like it because it's like, because we kind of glaze over a part where he like hides from the ghost because he's like, I just want to talk to you. And the ghost is like, approaches him. He's like, oh, fuck, nope. And he like takes off. Oh, yeah, yeah. And And he runs into the closet. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, this is like the first time that he's like looking him in the eyes is like, you know, I'm, I'm. I'm ready to talk, and it's like, yeah. Well, now that I know who he is, yeah, you know, he's like, oh, I know who you are. You're cool. Yeah, I mean, because you never know, like, until you know who the ghost is. It could be like a not so friendly. Ghost, I just laugh so. because he literally is like, I want to talk to you, and it likes <laughs> the ghost tries to it's like, like peace out. So unfortunately, before Jacinto gets there, the doctor does succumb to his injuries, which is very sad. 
Yeah. And he's there with his, like, blood-soaked handkerchief that he always carries. And, of course, the dickheads lock the kids into a large closet as they attempt to break into the safe. Because, of course, the explosion happened in the room where the safe was, but didn't blow the safe open. So they're trying to break into the safe because they don't know where the keys are anymore. And while they search, I, I do like this. The kids are kind of smart, right? Yeah. They're like, we got to get out of here. So they take one of the smaller kids. Was it Al or Galvez? Galvez. Galvez. Because Al, Al was injured really badly. Oh, yeah. So Galvez climbs up out of a window, but he lands weird on his ankle. Mm. And so they're like, oh, shit. Now we got to, like, get somebody else out there. But the door mysteriously opens. And you see, like, the handkerchief in the hand of whoever opens that door. And it's it's the doctor's handkerchief. And you're like, oh. Oh my god, he's a ghost. Yeah, and I, like, I love it because it's like, Hame and Carlos have seen the, the doctor's body, but Galvis hasn't, and he literally is like, the doctor opened up the door. And they look at each other because they're like, there's no way in hell the doctor's dead. Yeah. Like, duh, duh, duh. Duh, duh, duh. But I like that. It was nice. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, basically, Hansito at this point has decided he's going to kill the children, burn the orphanage down. And he's telling, like, his, like, his his buddies about this and he's like and they're like okay and then they drive off and leave him they're like you crazy fuck because even like crazy yeah they can't find the gold either they're like there's no gold you want to burn a bunch of children we don't want to have any part of this yeah but he trips over carmen's prosthetic leg that's still in the kitchen and that's where the gold was the whole time that's why her leg was so heavy yeah that's probably why she couldn't run from the explosion but or she might have put it on after while she was dying. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, she put it. So what it is, is I, I the second time I watched it, it made sense because as they're leaving, they're packing, you know, Alma asks her, she's like, what's wrong? And she's like, it's my bad. Like, it's heavier. Oh, it's yeah. She says it's heavier than yeah. usual. Yeah. That's when she did it. Because he saw it in the safes, which is why he was going crazy because he is like, I don't see it anymore. So, of course, being the selfish fuck he is. I mean, I just, why, this was the stupidest decision ever. Instead of, like, just taking it in the leg, he puts all the gold in his pockets and then ties some around his waist in, like, a bag. And I'm like, okay, I knew where this was going immediately when this happened. But I was like, I want to see it happen. And the kids get him to go down to the cellar where the cisterns are. Yes. And they have Lord of the Flies sharpened all of these little sticks into spears and they distract him so i think it's amy can like stab him in the underarm which is a really bad place to stab somebody because like that's a lot of blood loss right there and so that's there's some arteries right there so he stabs him and they get him to fall into the cistern and he can't get the gold out of his pants (laughs) that sounded weird that's true he can't get the gold out of his pockets fast enough and he starts sinking and of course who is there to help him sink? Mm. Santi. He just grabs him in a nice little hug and just says, oh, we're going to be buddies forever. And ever. It's great. And ever. And ever. And yeah, we find out the reason that the doctor was saying the thing, the thing in the beginning is because he's a ghost now yeah and it's so and he does like watching it a second time at one point he does say i found i found where i want to be and i'm never leaving and he's referencing of course because it's carmen's there but now it's like 
his spirit. But it's also sad because one of the last shots of the movie is you see little Santi just standing over the, the water and he's just looking out. Like, it's like, was he, like, granted release? Like, was he given peace? Or is, like, he doomed to be there forever now, too? Okay, that's depressing. Well, at least the doctor's there so they can be buddies. Yeah, and I do love that last shot of the film as you see the doctor looking out over, like, the golden plains as the kids, the orphans, like, leave. And it's like, so, they do get, you, it does end on, like, a positive note for, like, the kids because you feel like they survived this situation. They'll continue to survive. <laughs> Unlike Pan's Labyrinth. Yeah, exactly. It's not a happy at all well i mean it depends on your interpretation it ah, it depends on your interpretation but i do find it i always like i was like why does the female character have the much more depressing end to her story guillermo why one one child versus multiples i guess well i but the baby boy is fine yeah um, so final thoughts. Any any pros, any cons we didn't already mention? Not I, I love I love this movie. Like I there's so many pros. So one, I think the whole cast is like really, really great. There was like this nice a nice mix of like seasoned actor, new actors, but they all collaborated very well together. I thought like the relationships were very believable. I thought it was well casted. I love the color palette of this movie. Like it's just so like saturated but like the golds like the the golds around the orphanage just pop and like the set design with the bomb it's just i loved it it's just a beautiful film to watch it also it's not the most colorful mm-hmm. movie that guillermo del toro has done however like things do pop when they pop but also i don't think it's supposed to be colorful because they're in the middle of war Mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah whereas like pan's labyrinth was kind of like that but then when she was in her fantasy world it was beautiful and colorful and all that stuff which is why there was like such contrast and that's a very similar thing with i i think that's why shape of water is probably his best movie is because like it's just all his little elements all put together so nicely he's got like like the green color scheme and he's got like you know the body work and all stuff this is by the way one of the only movies without either Ron Perlman or Doug Jones mm-hmm. in it <laughs> of his movies. He, they're pretty much in every other movie uh, he's been in. So it is kind of weird not having a Doug Jones character creature yeah. in his movies or just randomly having Ron Perlman be like, hey there, I'm Ron Perlman. So that's a really bad impersonation, but... I like him. It is weird not having them in a Guillermo movie, but I'm cool with it, I guess. I do like how, like, the atmosphere is very eerie mm-hmm. and the ghost is very scary looking. And I mean, like, it's just a little kid, but, like, the way his eyes are sunken in and the color scheme of him and all that just really is creepy. There's also a lot of symbolism, like the bomb signifying, like, the lurking danger and alluding to the explosion that's later going to happen. Yeah. And then also, like, the cistern is, like, like a never-ending sorrow just like because you never really see the bottom of the cistern yeah and that's what's interesting to me too because taylor even said that when like Jaime is accidentally pushed in he's like it can't be that deep and i don't think it's that deep but that also kind of makes me cringe to think that there's like santi's body's just been in there the whole time and it's not even that deep like that's no. That's like so disturbing. Also, this is his second movie because Crimson Peak also has like a cistern room, but it's that clay. Mm-hmm. But like, I'm like, did he like, was that like at his boarding school? Like, he must have had something in his life that had like cisterns or something. Because that's not something like average 
you know? Yeah. Something, like, very ancient. That was cool. I liked the... That was an interesting place to set the ghost. I do like that the villain is slightly sympathetic. Yeah. Like, he's not, like, he had a really bad life. He finds these pictures of his dad at some point, and he's like, oh, my dad was great, and now's my mom. And, like, you realize that he did have a bad life, but he didn't have to turn out to be such a dickhead about it yeah it's just you know? so weird though because i think there's two different points that carmen calls him the prince Wild kingdom and i'm just like why yeah I, his I, dad called him that too and he also calls she also is like you were the saddest orphan and i'm just like it's just like i it's like language why are you I, sleeping with him then carmen i know it's just like language that it feels like you're using to kick it while he's already down like, it's always like yeah. he has a chip on his shoulder. It's also no excuse for him to be a dick. And especially because you see how different, like, Hamie has very similar circumstances. And he yes. becomes a good person by the end of it. Yes. Well, Khan's, I think, I already said the thing about I feel like they shouldn't have shown the body at the beginning and the murder part. Because mm-hmm. I don't think it really served it. But I get what they're trying to do. Also, the spina bifida babies make me really sad. That you would use a baby's... Like, I, I'm all for... Like, I just, like... I'm like, that was probably a baby somebody wanted. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. There's something, like, weird about using human bodies. Especially infants. They could not give consent for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they died in utero. I don't know. It just feels creepy to put liquor in with a baby's dead body. But, okay, what... The only thing... And it really only noticed it in, like, one part. But it bothered me both times I watched it. Sometimes the music is kind of inappropriate. Like, it swells really big when Carlos walks into the dormitory room. It just was like, I was like, what is the significance of this? There oh, really wasn't one. I noticed that too. I, to me, it was like trying to set up the sense of foreboding, I think is what it was. Doing. I guess, but I was like that. And it was just, it was just a lot of music. It was very loud. And I was just like, I didn't really notice it as much as the rest of the movie, but both times I watched it, I was like, that's weird. So I'm like, I wonder if, like, maybe the, like, that score was supposed to be used for a different scene, and they didn't use it or something? It's very interesting, and you probably read this on the trivia page, too, but it also said in the companion piece book written for this movie that Hami is supposed to be 19. And when obviously the Ooh. actor casts for him has to be maybe 13, 14. So I'm wondering also, was there things that they had written in the script and they changed it while they were like filming? They were like, you know what? It doesn't make sense why Hami would be 19. Let's make him closer. Oh, Hami. Yeah. For some reason I was seeing Jacinto. No, no, like, no. Oh no. God, he's only 19. No, 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 no. Yeah, like Jaime. But it's like funny because he's literally in classes next to Carlos and stuff, but he's supposed to be a 19 according to the book. So I'm like, no. So I wonder if there was things that they had changed their filming from the original script i'm sure yeah well also the original script was like in like he rewrote this like a billion times because he worked on this movie for 16 years yeah so uh what would you rate it so i would actually have to give this one an 8.5 out of 10 i really really liked it i definitely think my personal opinion is one of the strongest del toro films del toro is obviously a phenomenal director I love this. I felt like I could definitely see how personal it was just by the story and by like the kids' interactions with each other. Yeah. I just thought I thought it was a very emotional movie and like I said before, obviously I have a very soft spot in my heart for ghost stories. Um I love the changeling, so the idea of another child ghost was very intriguing to me. Um, even if it was really sad. But yeah, just really liked this one, honestly. Awesome. 
Well, so I think Pan's Labyrinth ruined my rating for this movie because I remember absolutely bawling my eyes out at Pan's Labyrinth and being utterly emotionally destroyed by it in a good way. But this movie, like, I really liked it, but, like, I didn't feel it was has as much rewatchability because it is so sad, but I do think it's a really good movie, and I think it's a promise of great things to come with him, and I do think he counts this as his first movie because he doesn't really count the first two he made because he had bad experiences. So I really do think, like, this is a great film. I gave it, like, a 7.5, closer to an 8, okay. though, because I just from rewatching it, I was like... I like it. I don't love it. I really like it, but I don't love it. But it is really good. Also, like, I feel like I watched it, like, in the middle of the day, and I'm like, I should have, like, turned the lights off and gotten creeped out. I didn't get scared by the ghost, and everyone always says this ghost is so scary and this movie's so scary. I didn't get scared. I wasn't scared. I guess I did feel a little anxious, though. I guess it was, like, maybe the third time he sees Santi, and that's the time he confronts him, and he's like, I need to talk to you. And then it's like... He runs into the school, he's panting, and then he turns and look, and, like, Santi's on the other edge of the corridor, and I was like, okay, my anxiety's mm-hmm. racked up a little bit, like, you at know, this point. The only part that really made me upset was when Jacinto cut Carlos's oh, face. Oh, yeah, like, that was awful. I, I That really didn't bother me. But I, it's a good movie. It's a really, really good movie. I would highly recommend it. And I think it's pretty accessible to most people. Like, I don't think... There's not too much violence or too much gore or anything like that. It's just a good old-fashioned ghost story. Did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating for it? So, yes, I do have a Grindhouse Girls rating for this one. Uh, I gave it a rating of S for schoolboys, slugs, and sign specters. Oh, I think yours is going to get it. Because, like, I realized right before we got on that I hadn't given it a rating, so I came up with these very quickly. I had rated W for water, water everywhere, not a drop of gold. And then rated C for cisterns, children, and chili ghosts. Oh, that's that's cute too, though. Yeah. I think we'll go with us. I do like the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner uh, reference just because Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is one of my favorite poems. But yeah. Again, I, th- I would recommend this movie. I would definitely. too. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like I've gotten tougher on my readings lately, and I don't know why. Sometimes it'd be like that, though. So, you know, I get it. I get it, you know, and I I know we're going to go into this probably like in two weeks from now, but um, shout out to our editor, Ryan. He saw the movie Barbarian in theaters and he was like, "Mm, wasn't really my favorite. And we're all like, what? Because this movie is like critically acclaimed. It has a really high. I'm loving it. Yep. It has a really high Rotten Tomatoes score even now. But I was surprised when I watched it that I'm like, "Mm, I'm not going to ruin anything for Katie, but I'm leaning towards Ryan's opinion myself. So was it just so crass and gross? It wasn't worth it, uh, or no, was it I wouldn't, badly constructed? I I wouldn't say really either of those things. Like I said, I really really liked the first half of the movie, and I really really liked the direction that I thought the first half was going. It's mm-hmm. the second half of the movie that I'm like not as keen on. But I mean, okay. I'd love to hear your opinion on it, Katie, and I definitely don't want to ruin. 
Um, Because I do think it's a movie that the less you know going into it, the better. Well, and that's what, like, I've been trying to not look up anything Mm -hmm. for it. But I guess with that... So next episode's gonna be we're gonna skip a week and then we'll come back for a sidetrack. So do we want to choose one now or do we want to just wait until the sidetracks episode? We can wait till sidetrack episode. That's no okay. problem because we also never know what may come to streaming. Yeah, if we don't do Barbarian the next one, we might just talk about Barbarian. We'll see. Do you think Barbarian's worth doing an episode? I think there would be enough to talk about there. Yeah, I think there would be enough to okay. talk about there. Um, I just, I don't, uh, it's just like, I want you to see it because then there's some things I could discuss with you that you, that I, I think, I think you may agree with me on one or two things, but I also want to hear your opinion on one or two things that I could see your opinion going out our way. So, like, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yes, so I guess we're going to have to say goodnight. I'm, I'm instituting a say goodnight because I know we both got to go to bed and go to work. Gizmo's already asleep. Be kind to another. If you haven't already, I guess voting is over. It hasn't happened yet, but I guess by the time this episode runs, it will be over. But I hope you voted. Vote for rights for all citizens and all people. And do your research. Uh, Wash your hands and get your vaccines. I need to get mine. And thank you for listening and liking and subscribing and all that good stuff because we love you guys. Yeah. You make it worth it. Thanks for all the likes, the comments, the subscribes, the um, messages that you sent us. We appreciate each and every one of you. Yeah, take care of yourselves and each other. We love you all so much. And we just look forward to seeing you next time. Same spoo time, same spoo channel. Stay, Stay spoopy, spoopy y'all. y'all. Bye. Bye. Bye, Brit. Grindhouse Girls Podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Britt Ray. Our editor is N.R. Moody. All music used is royalty-free and can be found in our annotations. You can follow us on all of our socials. And if you have any comments, questions, or just want to say hey, our email is contactus at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening.